This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of the show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm going to ask our guest now to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. My name's Brian. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership, We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death and if you think this sounds dramatic we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true the challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it denial is a major symptom of alcoholism the alcoholic is often the last one to recognize it and to admit that they have it our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether their life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. Hi, so I wonder if you could introduce yourself, maybe by starting with your age and how long you've been sober. Yeah, my name's Brian. Um, I'm 72 years old. Um, My sobriety date was the 10th of September uh, 1979, which, you know, makes it 42 and a half years. Wow. What were you doing when you were working? Um, well, like when I first started working. Mm. All throughout, what do you... Yeah, yeah, I've done all sorts of jobs. I remember, um, you know, when I was 16 or 17, I think my parents um, wanted to get me into some, you know, stable job and, and government jobs with a... Um, go to in those days and I started off work as a telephone technician at the um, at a you know telephone exchange and I was getting um, $32 a fortnight and uh, it was you know to come and go and on that as a young fella um, you know wasn't all that attractive and I remember um, you know then um, for some reason ending up at the freezing works and in the freezing works we were getting you know that same amount or similar um for a a week's work and um you know a wee bit of overtime and you know a number of jobs when I was um drinking through to 29 I wrote them down at, at one point and I think there was something like 73 jobs I had um you know ranging from half a day to um, you know maybe a month or a couple of months it was all dependent on at at that stage um, as a you know teenager um, yeah getting the elixir of life which was alcohol into my system and uh, yeah had a lot of um, shenanigans dare I say in those days and what about your childhood what was it like yeah, childhood. We lived in a um, lived in Church Corner, mm-hmm. um, in a state house um, area. My um, dad, who was a drinker, had been to the Second World War, and um, I actually got his um, war records and to have a look. And there was all sorts of misdemeanours in there, you know, like in the camp at Burnham before they went, and on the boat, um, going over to I think he went to Egypt. Uh, where he would be, you know, locked up for a couple of days or fined a week's wages. And, you know, in hindsight, I can see that, you know, um, the exact same traits that I had in me, um, perhaps he was struggling with too. I sort of thought that, um, you know, they had more trouble keeping him in order. It was like they were fighting the war with him going over to the war and uh, he possibly was fighting an internal one himself and my mum was a you know a loving um, caring mum to the point of um, I would say you know overprotectiveness and um, yeah thanks so could you tell us when you first started drinking what was your first drink like <sighs> look and I've thought about it and and I should imagine and I know it would have been shandy or shandies at my grandparents place and and then maybe um the odd one at home i always remember 
It might have been my grandmother would say, like, be a dirty tough. When I was a little fella, be a dirty stuff, you know, and so that obviously had some battles there. But, um, yeah, um, my first, you know, drinks, I would say, was maybe 16 and... Um, in, in those days, you know, obviously a lot cheaper. I remember um, they had used to put a train on from Christchurch to Arthur's Pass, and I remember getting a flask. Like, I, I was really cool. I had a, a brown corduroy jacket on and on the train, and I had a flask of um, sherry and a flask of um, vodka. I had two of these flasks, and... Um, I was going to drink them to get a bit of courage to talk to girls on the train and all this sort of stuff. Well, I'd had a few swigs um, after we left the station here and um, ended up, by the time I think we got to Rolleston, I was on my hands and knees in the toilet over the bowl, vomiting, and um, there was knocks on the door, the guard was... Is anyone in there? Open up the door and that. I was in that toilet from Rolleston right up to Arthur's Pass, <laughs> um, you know, and then coming out into the snow and wobbling round. And, um, yeah, my um, early memories of, of drinking was, you know, the old adage, one's too many and a thousand's not enough. Um, I remember, you know, well, around that time, like, Beatles and had me beetle boots on and I remember coming home and my mum I'd flop on the bed and um, and I'd come home and she would take my beetle boots off other other nights for some reason I decided rather than sleep with my head on the pillow I slept like upside down in the bed that seemed to be normal right it was all sorts of yeah and and when did you feel that you were drinking became a problem I don't know that that I felt it was a problem yeah in those early days and yeah. I'm talking you know 17 and 18 and what have you everything else was a problem in the way of drinking like you know the expectation to work um, the expectation to do the right thing it was all the sort of stuff that seemed to be imposed on me I felt probably special and there was a lot of times like my mate used to pick me up to go to the freezing works I was 17 or 18 at the time and we'd hop in the car and look at each other and he'd say how you feeling oh I'm not too good you know how you feeling no I'm not too good either and he'd turn the car around and we'd head off over to the British Hotel in um, in Littleton the moment we'd made that decision that we were going to get alcohol we started to feel better you know, and so, um, yeah, but not long after that, um, I guess there was, you know, one or two court appearances of a, you know, I'm going to say a nuisance or a village idiot type, yeah. you know, um, sort of thing. And everyone else was telling me. Actually, there was a time I remember I got locked up on, on remand in Addington Prison and I remember my mum coming to visit me, my mum and dad, and the despair in her eyes, like when she sort of looked at me and, and she used to call me Briny, 
was like a loving sort of thing. And what are you doing in here, Bryony? You know, and I felt embarrassed that yeah. my mum would, you know, show me up. It would show the facade in front of the people that were in the, you know, prison there with us. I was in there for a week, but I, I rem remember that, you know, you, yeah. So at what point did you think, categorically, this is having a really big impact on my life? I can't, I can't keep on doing this. Oh, I don't know that I actually thought like my body, like I needed to get alcohol into my system. And at that point I was taking um, Valium as yeah. well to try and stop the um, shaking. I was drinking in early openers. It was just a, a cycle of, you know, I'd met a girl, if you like, and she fell pregnant. Um, you know, I was living, I was, was sleeping in a shed. I remember asking her out one time before we got close, and um, I said, you know, um, come round, and, you know, I know where there's a party on it. Went to this house and she said, "Oh, it's a nice place." And I said, "Well, we, I'm up the back. I'm living, sleeping in the shed on a mattress." And she slept in that, just a little shed with us, you know, at that um, at that time. And um, yeah, it was just the for me the terror that the fear that I had going on in us. Some of it real. Um, through situations when I was drinking in, in town with, um, you know, perhaps one or two groups I was um, involved or aligned with. And, um, yeah, just just that terrifying feeling, too frightened to go outside, peeping out the curtains if a car pulled up, heart almost jumping out of my you know, um, shirt if I saw police or police pulled up outside, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Terror, bewilderment, frustration and despair, I think AA refers to it as, but terror would be the big one in my life that I remember around that, yeah. around that time. So can you tell us about your first AA meeting, what it was like, how you felt? Yeah, you know, it was a wee while ago. And I can still feel the chap, or a chap, I know his name, I don't know if, if he's alive, but he got up and he introduced himself as an alcoholic and he shared about the sort of stuff that I'd spent the last decade in town trying to hide. He, he shared about his inadequacies, um, his awkwardness around females yeah. he shared all that sort of all that sort of thing and I remember leaving that meeting with the chap I was um, friendly with and this was in Queen Mary Hospital oh, yeah. and, and I remember leaving there and going you know it was like wow you know this has started to unlock um, something in me that I didn't want the world to know about. I didn't want them to know that underneath the facade was a frightened, fragile, little 
being, if you like. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So how would you say you've managed to stay sober? Because 42 years is a pretty significant chunk of sobriety there. Well, what, how would you... Yeah, can you talk us through some of the things that you do that you think have contributed to that? Well, firstly, in those early days, um, I used to think, you know, well, what's the alternative? Yeah. I'm either drinking or I'm not drinking. And, you know, the state I'd got into at the end of my drinking, that, um, what you know, wasn't an option. And so they speak of a higher power and, and Alcoholics Anonymous, something that I was um, terrified of. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess just to be open-minded. I heard people sharing at meetings that gave me strength to carry on, you know, and, and so I attended meetings, uh, you know, quite regularly, I suppose, in those early days. One of them was... Um, one of them I used to go to on a regular basis was in a church um, and I had been the bookmaker in the hotel just down the road from the church and because I was the bookmaker I had money, I was wheeling and dealing in a lot of hot goods and, um, you know, terrified that someone would see me walking into a church. There's, you know, Brian's He's gone all religious, you know. He'll, yeah. he'll come right sort of style. But, um, and, and slowly, I guess just to try and remain a bit open, you know, minded. Um, I've heard it said that, you know, alcoholics move at the speed of pain yeah. and it's possibly been through really awkward, uncomfortable times when I have felt at different stages of, of my, um, you know, sobriety journey, if you like, where I'm going nuts at some point, my mind is going to snap and I'm going to end up in a mental institution um, to, you know, poke my nose into some AA literature and maybe go to a, a different meeting um, to try and come to some sort of understanding of what this higher power um, may be all about and yeah. If you could describe your life when you were actively alcoholic and as opposed to actively now in recovery, what are some of the main differences between who you are, how you feel, what sort of person you are? Yeah. Um, well, when I was, you know, before I picked up a drink, I was always a very nervous sort of a chap like I remember at school in the you know primers it used to be in those days too embarrassed to put my hand up um, to go to the toilet and would sit there and wet my pants I was you know frightened of drawing attention to myself I suppose self-conscious or that um, yet when I got alcohol into my system I started craving that attention I would be in the pub singing sometimes and I've got a terrible singing voice. So a, lot, <laughs> a lot of people have um, have told me, but um, yeah, I craved, I craved that at attention, and um, you know, we would say that um, self-centeredness or egocentricity is the root of our 
um, disease and uh, I certainly understand that but uh, yeah a lot of things that terrified me as a youngster and certainly in my teens and early 20s and and right through life um, a lot of those um, you know circumstances have had the you know power if you like um, taken out of them like I was fearful of flying I went and did a, a fear of flying course yeah. um, I'm a lot more comfortable in it now I remember like I'm an alcoholic my head will arrive in a place you know a day a week a month a year before my actual body does and I remember doing this fear of flying course and they said to you now what we're going to do is take you all out on the tarmac we'll put you on a plane and we're just going to tow you into the hangar you know so you get the feel of the plane and I remember thinking to myself oh these so-and-sos they're not going to tow us into the hangar they're going to go on the runway and they're going to take us for a couple of circles of the airport just to make sure we've got over the sphere you know but but what it's allowed me to do is to do things that I have been fearful of yeah. I was very fearful of you know claustrophobia being in lifts all that sort of stuff sitting here speaking you know with well I would say strangers that I've met today sort of thing um, that um, yeah it's just taken a, a fear and you know um, p put a bit of a lid if you like on anxiety that sometimes within me is looking to have somewhere to play or looking to find something to be anxious about yeah Thanks. AA has been described as a spiritual program. What does spirituality mean to you? Spirituality today means to me is an attempt to be in harmony with an unseen order of things. I'm going to repeat that, an attempt to be in harmony with an unseen order of things. <clears throat> Our founders went to a you know, prominent psychologist Carl Jung, and um, you know, in the way back in the early days, and he spoke about someone that had come to visit him, and he used a Latin phrase, "spiritus contra spiritum," where he believed the thirst for alcohol is indicative of a low-level spiritual thirst. I understand that today. I still have the thirst, not for alcohol. My thirst is what you asked about, of a spiritual nature. And that thirst may be quenched by just sitting, watching a sun come up, watching something corny, if you like, um, to do with, normally with nature. Mm -hmm. Nature has no need to impress me or to tell lies or fibs or anything like that. Nature d just is, and Jung went on to say, our deepest desire is for a union with the divine. And for me, spirituality means seeking that. And if you're fortunate enough, at times in your life, there will be a union with that desire, divine. And normally for me, that is when I'm out and amongst nature, where I feel deep within nature in front of me, 
and some great reality that resides deep within me becomes one. We are one and the same. I am not separate from, you know, um, things that my eyes may be focused on. So, yeah, I, I'm tremendously grateful that through, you know, sickness, I'm going to say through discomfort, through awkwardness, it was only that that was going to lead me out into this path that I've been following for 22 billion seconds. My <laughs> egocentricity wanted me to Google that the other day and just to see how long it is in, in days and seconds. And uh, yeah, so um, I, I don't know, mate, if, if that's spirituality, if that is. Certainly sounds like it to me. An answer. Finally, what, what would you suggest? So say we've got some listeners out there and they're thinking, oh, do I have a drinking problem? Do I not have a drinking problem? What advice would you give to them or what questions would you ask them to help them decide? Uh, I think most of our literature would speak of, you know, you decide. You be the physician. You be the doctor. Decide for yourself. And in our um, literature, it talks about going into you know, a bar or whatever, and, and to try some controlled drinking. Yeah. You know, we have a little um, saying, I guess, or maybe we don't, maybe the world does, but, uh, you know, the man takes a drink, the drink takes a drink, the drink takes a man. And, and for me, that is, um, you know, if I get alcohol into my system, I, or who I think I am, becomes a passenger then to that. So I would suggest to anyone that has um, any discomfort around their drinking or any awkwardness or any pressure, you know, maybe give Alcoholics Anonymous a ring and have a yarn with someone and, um, you know, yeah, that's what I would suggest, mate. Lovely. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. That's, yeah, no worries, mate. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or you'd like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or you can call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help and you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God give grant me the serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change, courage to change the things, things I can, I can and, and wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.